0: This is the Stuff You Missed, Best of 99.9 The Fan Podcast. Part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now here is your host for the Stuff You Missed Podcast, Dennis Cox. Coming
1: up on today's show, discussions about the Carolina Hurricanes and who they might face in round one of the playoffs. NBA discussions as the Lakers might be in trouble when the playoffs get started. And is it healthy for college athletes to compete during this pandemic? We'll hear from Cameron Wolf, chief medical expert for the ACC, on later with the Adam Gold Show. The Carolina Hurricanes are hanging out in Toronto, waiting for the rest of the league to catch up to them and finish their series in the qualifying round to get the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs underway. It's still to be determined who the Carolina Hurricanes will play in the first round of the playoffs. On the OG this afternoon, they discussed the two possible teams they will face in the first round.
0: All right, well, who are the Canes going to play next? And it really comes down to two teams. They could play the Washington Capitals or the Boston Bruins. We wait.
2: We do. So the Canes would be it also depends on what the Penguins do, mm-hmm. right? Penguins are down two to one in the series to the Canadians. That game will start at four o'clock while we're on the air. Might need to sneak that one on the card, Joe, preemptively. Ooh. Um uh, but if the Penguins can win that come back and win that series, they would be the number five seed, the Canes would be the six. If Montreal closes the Penguins out today or tomorrow, Montreal, the Canes end up being the 5-seed. That matters because they're going to play either the 3-seed or the 4-seed mm-hmm. in the first round. Jilio
1: is not impressed with
2: Boston. Surprisingly, kind of to me anyway, Boston has not been good in the bubble. Understood the games have no value to them, to per them. se. Yeah, to them. Per se. But if you think of it this way, they were the number one. They won the President's Trophy. They had the best record in the regular season. Mm-hmm. They should be the number one seed in the East, but they're not now because they lost their first two seeding games. So, and, and Washington hasn't won a game yet either in the bubble. They have a loss and a, an a overtime loss. So neither one of those teams is playing well, but they're obviously not playing with the same urgency as the Canes did in an elimination series.
0: Ovia shares who he wants to see Carolina face. The answer to that, even though they haven't been playing all that fantastically, is the Capitals. I'm so, I am mean, I, I actually think this is a very easy answer for everybody in the audience. You want to see the Washington Capitals. Based on what we saw last year in the opening round, the seven-game series, they eventually went on to sweep the Islanders before getting swept themselves by the Boston Bruins, the Capitals give you the sizzle. There's so many loose threads from last season's seven-game series, from Andrei Svechnikov and Alexander Ovechkin. Justin Williams, who is absolutely fired up to be here in the first place, being the guy who wouldn't mind sticking it to his former team along the way. Ovius wants to see the carryover from last year's playoffs. There's just a level of animosity there that's carried over that I'd like to see actually play out in the playoffs again, and not just in an exhibition game. That really was just everybody kind of feeling out the process uh, last week there in Toronto. So the answer to this is... Washington. I do think they dodged a bullet, though, in not having to play the Flyers. I know that was a possibility earlier in the week before these things started to shake out. You Probably don't want to see the Flyers. They're pretty good. EJ Hraddock of the NHL Network joined the Adam Gold Show, and he gave
1: his thoughts on how Carolina has looked so far up in Toronto.
3: I don't know if I saw a future Stanley Cup champion, but I saw a team that's going to be really hard to beat, for (laughs) sure. That's going to be a really good team. I mean, uh, you know, I really like the look of their team down the middle now, uh, you know, with Ajo, Stahl, Trocek, and Geeky. And that kid Geeky's a pretty good player. He's a big kid, and he's smart. And, you know, as a fourth center, he's a really nice fit for them. So, And you forgot all about Trocek coming in, and him as the third. and. You know, kind of Stall and him are kind of you know similar, but righty-lefty, and one guy's a little bit bigger, and the other guy's a little bit more, you know, kind of in your face. But uh, you know, and Ajo has just become—he's blossomed into a to a star player. I'm sure that uh, that Don Waddell is still thanking the Montreal Canadiens for <laughs> for issuing that offer sheet.
1: Heradic says Carolina has a lot of great parts throughout their lineup, despite missing two key players.
3: You know, they're good, loaded on the wing. They're missing two top-four defensemen in the series against the Rangers and Hamilton and Pesci. It still didn't really miss a beat. It looks like Hamilton is going to be back soon, yeah. so that's great news. Um, and they, really, my only question is, you know, how are Morazic and Reimer, uh, you know, how would they hold up? And, they, you know, they both got to play in the first round. I think it was really smart of, of Rod Riddemore to uh, to make that move and to, and to give Reimer a game. I thought that was smart just to get him – playing a little bit, and he responded and played very well in that game.
1: Heratic says Carolina will face a much stiffer test in the first round of the playoffs.
3: You know, these games in the round robin, for those teams, they're trying to find their way, and the Bruins are an experienced group, and they had success against Carolina last year, so, you know, I would think that's going to be a much more serious challenge than a Ranger team that has gotten better and is ahead of schedule in my mind, but, you know the regular season as you know Adam you play you you play four games there are different parts of the season yep. there's you you might be playing a third of a, four, a three and four the other team might be rested the goalies in the, the rangers whether it was Lundqvist or Sisk Sh- or Georgiev in the regular season were really good they weren't quite as good in the you know in the uh, in the playoff round and teams dial in against one another in the in the postseason right. so um you know, the Carolina Hurricanes are an experienced group, a really good team that's going to give anybody they play a hard time. And if they were to come out of this and win the Stanley Cup, I wouldn't be all that shocked, but there's going to be uh, some more serious tests ahead.
1: This is Stuff You Missed, the best of 99.9 The Fan. Thanks so much again for tuning in this evening. Switching over to the NBA, the LA Lakers have lost two straight games down in the bubble in Orlando though they do have the number one overall seed in the Western Conference locked up. Frank Isola of ESPN, on with ESPN Radio this morning, says the team that the L.A. Lakers do not want to face the Portland Trailblazers.
4: Now that Portland has got Yusuf Nurkic back and they have uh, Zach Collins back, they'll be a dangerous team. If they get Out of all the teams that would have a chance against the Lakers, it would be Portland because of that backcourt, because we still don't know Rondo's Availability. Avery Bradley isn't with the Lakers. And Avery Bradley, you know, even though he was struggling to make shots, he's a very good defender. He has experience. So Portland, put it this way, I think if you gave LeBron and Anthony Davis the choice, they'd much rather see Memphis in the first round than, uh, than Portland, that's for sure.
1: ESPN NBA reporter Tim Bontemps was also on with ESPN Radio this morning. And he also adds about the threat that Portland poses to the Lakers.
5: I think that this is the worst possible scenario. Uh, for the Lakers in the playoffs. When you look at the way that Portland goes into that series, uh, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are two guys that the Lakers don't really have anyone that they can put on them, especially without Avery Bradley, who's not in the bubble because he um, decided to stay home with his family. Yusuf Nurkic and Asan Whiteside and Zach Collins are three talented big guys that they can throw at Anthony Davis and their center combination, DeVale McGee and Dwight Howard. Um, Gary Trent Jr. has been one of the revelations in the bubble on the wing. I think he's shooting about 8,000% from three. (laughs) Um, I was at their game last night, and he went, I think, 7 for 10 for three. He's been fantastic. Um, And Carmelo Anthony has slimmed down and has played pretty well and looks pretty spry and athletic and I I think can at least stay in front of LeBron James. So you look at their team, and to me, if I'm the Lakers, this is not the team that I want to see in the first round.
1: Brendan Witted, one half of the league past Lair, was also on the Adam Gold show today. And he explains why the layoff was actually beneficial to Portland.
6: Because they have a a really talented roster. They're going to miss Trevor Ariza, like Trevor Ariza opting out. They're going to miss him as as a wing defender, considering the teams that they might have to go against with the Clippers and the Lakers. But the thing that they were bad at, no one benefited more from this time off. Than the Portland Trailblazers. Like they they get Nurkic back, they get Zach Collins back. And so as a result of both of those guys being out, they picked up Carmelo Anthony to kind of bolster that front court. And now they've got a lot of depth there. What well, what was once a weakness is now a strength.
1: Witted it also says Portland has a dangerous backcourt. Obviously, you got CJ
6: McComb and Damian Lillard who can go get a bucket on anybody at any given time. He went for what was it 47 and 12 last yeah. night <laughs> like i mean like completely preposterous but that's what he can do and mccone it, can give you the same sort of thing so like you got a legitimate superstar a, a, a great i don't maybe calling him a sidekick is, is unfair to him but a great sidekick at cj and then now you have a roster full of front guy uh, um front court guys that can compliment them. Like they, they, they aren't an, an eight seed. Like they, right. their, their record might be one thing, but their talent is completely different.
1: Dennis Cox here with you. This is stuff. You missed the best of 99, the fan. Thanks once again for tuning in this evening on the other side, lots of discussions about the upcoming college football season. Dr. Cameron Wolf, an infectious disease expert an associate professor at Duke medicine and the chair of the ACC's COVID-19 medical advisory group, He joined the Adam Gold Show. Hear what he has to say and more coming up next. Dave Harding, former Duke football player, now part of the broadcast team for the Blue Devils. He joined the Adam Gold Show this afternoon. They got into a discussion about the upcoming college football season, and Harding talked about some of the protocols that Duke put into place while at practice.
7: That's always the case in a football locker room is finding leaders – And first of all, in the recruiting trail, trying to make sure that you're recruiting guys that take uh, their personal responsibilities seriously and know how to handle themselves on a day-in, day-out basis. And so I was actually at Duke's practice this morning, and to see all the steps that have been taken for safety reasons, uh, to see what they're asking of these players, and then Beyond that to see their their ability to carry those things out those requests out was pretty amazing
1: Harding also described the leadership a team is going to need during these times It starts
7: with leadership within the locker room the upperclassmen have to set the standard and it's got to you know trickle down and they've got to enforce it within within the team We knew when we were playing in the locker room who was going out and and getting drunk the night before practice we, the players know these things players right. know, um, who isn't going to class or who's deciding to, to cut these corners. And so in this case, there's no better group of people to make sure that some of the necessary steps that you know, Dr. Wolf has, has recommended and, and so many of the different guidelines have been put in place are adhered to than the group that is in the locker room. And they've got to take it seriously. If that's happening, then we've got a chance here.
1: ESPN's Damian Woody was on ESPN radio this morning. And he wonders what potential twenty twenty one NFL draft picks might decide regarding the upcoming season.
8: When we talk about college football, you're talking about eighteen to twenty two year olds that are on campuses. And what you really have to rely upon is basically all these guys being selfish. Think about that. Eighteen to twenty two year olds and you're and you're basically asking of them, I need you to be selfish this college football career. I mean this college football season. That's a tall task. So you know, I respect all these guys, their decision one way or the other, uh, but it's not going to be, this is not going to be an easy thing for college football
1: to pull off this year with, with these young men. Mark Slaybach of ESPN also talked about players possibly sitting out.
4: Hopefully, we don't see a trend moving forward post COVID where guys just skip their junior seasons and prepare for the NFL draft and they're still three years removed from their high school graduation, so would thus be eligible. Um, you know, look, there are some guys out there, I think. You know, I've talked to a couple who have concerns about playing this year but you know, feel like they can play on Sundays but maybe haven't proved enough on the field yet and need more game tape and need more production you know, to get selected. So, again, I think it's just kind of each his own.
1: Slabock also wonders if we do have college football if we'll see a diminished product.
4: I think it's take what you can get at this point. I mean that's their that was their big concern about pushing college football back to the spring, other than the fact that there might not be a virus avail or excuse me, a vaccine available or you might not be in a in a better position with the virus and then you lose the season entirely. One of the other big factors was would guys like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields and all these other top NFL prospects just skip the season and turn pro because it's been you know, because the season would be so close to the nfl draft but i just i think you look at some of these guys right now um the the guys that are projected to be first second round picks you know they don't know yet what the long-term effects of this virus might be and we've seen stories this week from from guys at indiana and lsu and and some other places who've had this virus that have lost 20 30 pounds Uh, there's an offensive lineman at, at indiana might have a heart condition because of contracting COVID-19.
1: Jordan Cornett of the ACC Network on ESPN Radio says that coaches need to support their players that do decide to opt out from this year.
8: I mean, you're not talking about contracts for millions of dollars, but I think that there's an understanding you would hope that every program, that these are 18 to 22-year-olds with their whole lives ahead of them, also understanding uh, the limit to what we know about this virus and the lasting impacts of it. So, the idea of having these athletes play and say, no, we're already into the season. We need you next week versus Notre Dame. That's a big-time matchup. That's not quite fair. And we've heard these reports coming out of places like Clemson where Dabo Sweeney said, hey, do you feel uncomfortable at any time playing? Your Scholarship's intact you still be considered a part of this team, allowing them the confidence to at any point say, I'm not comfortable doing this. And that's an adjustment in a, in a collegiate athletics world They try to have as much control as possible. It's nice to see the flexibility and the logic thrown into this, given the climate that we're currently in.
1: The NBA is back on 99.9 The Fan. Join us for some afternoon basketball live this Sunday from the bubble in Orlando as the San Antonio Spurs take on the New Orleans Pelicans at 2.30 p.m. The seeding games continue leading up to the first round of the playoffs, and we've got you covered on 99.9 The Fan. Thanks in part to Smithfield's Chicken and Barbecue. Dr. Cameron Wolf, infectious disease expert and associate professor at Duke Medicine, who's also the chair of the ACC's COVID-19 Medical Advisory Group. He was on the Adam Gold Show this afternoon. He says the athletes are certainly at risk, but they're not the only ones you have to consider. I, I think there's, there's real subtleties here
9: that people might not catch up on. The first is that, yes, it's true that whilst an athlete may not have that many symptoms, that doesn't mean his 50, 60 70 year old coach won't well that doesn't mean that he gets visited by his family and his uh, you know older parents or grandparents may not get sick heck the custodial services um, members who are on our campus uh, would be higher risk than those athletes so we, we view we view our athletics teams as as, as, as part of a team which mm-hmm. involved lots of people not just the athletes themselves so that's number one
1: Wolf ads we're still learning the long-term ramifications of the virus. I think the other thing is we have to
7: be really
9: careful that we've only been learning about this virus for six, six, eight months. And the more we've looked, we have actually realized that even in people who are minimally symptomatic, there can be implications here. Both, I'll give you two examples. The first is um, a number of people that we've seen, say in the hospital, uh, and this is true athletics as well, actually remain fatigued and, and, and not back to their baseline for many weeks. So, if you apply that in the middle of an athletic season, for example, for uh, you know someone who 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 really wants to get out and compete and show that they might make a transition, for example to professional league, if you knock them out with fatigue for a couple of months, that's a, that's a really big deal.
1: Wolf adds what the experts are learning more about the virus lately.
9: the other The other more sinister component of that is that we've seen that this virus can cause a lot of inflammatory issues. And some of those actually, um, are more telling. So for example, we're starting to learn that this has an impact on inflammation in the heart, mm-hmm. some individuals. And, and to better understand that, we've tried to engage a lot of our cardiologists and different folk around the campus to say, look, hey, you know, even if someone's asymptomatic, let's really try and understand in a, in an athletic population, what that means. Are there things here that might otherwise kind of fly beneath the radar that we can pick up and learn from that, that again, just further help us say, I don't want um, our athletes getting sick. And I think that's the take-home. Dr. And that's, and that's true whether they get sick enough to, you know, you can't just use mortality as the endpoint point. <laughs> that's the reason why this is important.
1: Gold did ask the question, can sports be played this fall?
9: I think we can safely play provided the footprint on the campus, in the teams um, are, are, are as close to zero as we can realistically make them to be, and what that enables us is to, is, you know, we 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 best guarantee that players when they go on the field don't take COVID with them. Right. And I actually think that's very possible. It, like, yes, football is a contact sport. Yes, there comes with a certain risk, but there are so many other layers of things that we've done to mitigate this from room setups to, to dormitory layups to training variability to hand washing and masking almost universally as they, as they practice and train, that we think the risk of actually bringing un, unrecognized COVID onto a football field is actually really low at the moment. Um, so in the right setting, if that still persists, and that's true for my opponent as well, and I think this can be done safely. But there's a lot of ifs there still.
0: You've been listening to The Stuff You Missed, Best of 99.9 The Fan Podcast, with host Dennis Cox. Don't forget, there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sports Fan app. And you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, Google Podcast. Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and TuneIn. This podcast also airs every weeknight at 6.30 after Adam and Joe on 99.9 The Fan.